Hey, everybody, Meredith and Alexa back on the mic talking about all things macros, mindset and movement and super stoked about today's episode, especially just being a few months into a new year. A lot of people are just a few months, if not a few weeks into a new dieting or a new style of eating, wellness goals, fitness endeavors. And I think now's the perfect time to bring up the topic of plateaus. This is something that's like, I hear it so often. People who've been in the health and fitness world a really long time, people who are just starting out. Like this is the number one thing I hear all the time is like, I've plateaued. And it almost like hurts to even say it. Like I've plateaued. I can't even stand to hear it really. <laughs> but there's so many things to look at when it comes to like, if you're that person listening right now and you're like, I think I've hit that plateau. First off, I want to applaud you because you're still doing something right. You know, like you're not going in the opposite direction. So kudos to you, right? Plateau is not necessarily a bad thing, but we're going to list off 10 things to take a look at if you feel like you're that person who has plateaued. Slashing macros and calories is not on the list. No, it's not. (laughs) That's not what we're going to do. Now, if you go through all of these 10 things, which number one, basically talks a lot about that, then we can talk about, you know, moving some calories around. But the number one thing that we want you to look at. So number one is reviewing all trend lines of long-term detailed tracking data. Okay. So many of you all out there, I've been there as well. I'm not going to lie. I sometimes even get into this own rep myself. I get so caught up in the now that I forget to look at the big picture. I think I've plateaued today, but if I really dive into the data and look at that long-term data, I just tell myself a little bit of a different story. I look at, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not plateauing. Cause if I go back three, four weeks, maybe I am still losing a half a pound. Maybe it's not as fast as I want to, but you can't really say you've hit a true plateau Unless you look at that long-term data and you're really, you can dive in and say, okay, you know, maybe it's been three or four weeks. Maybe it's been three or four months. If you're still making progress and there is movement happening, that's technically not a plateau. And I think the plateau really is used for body weight when it comes to clients and people that are dieting. They throw all the other data metrics out the window because you can stabilize your weight, we'll say, and you can still be losing fat. You could be losing fat, gaining muscle, and your body weight is telling you the story that you've plateaued, but your pants are fitting different. Your energy is totally different. You're lifting heavier. You're running faster. Like all of those things tell us as nutrition coaches, if you've actually plateaued or not. So Not that we want you to break up with the scale because it is a piece of data that is helpful in the the realm of fat loss, but if your body weight has stabilized for seven days, you haven't plateaued. Even with clients that we've done our six-week jumpstart with, you know, in three, four, five weeks, they're like, I must have plateaued. It's like, well, no, like we only have three, four, five weeks of data, let's dive into this list that we're talking about today before we go in and throw the baby out with the bathwater and try the next diet. 
So the next thing that we'd have people look at is once they realize, okay, we've got to look at more than just like today's data or yesterday's data is more in the realm of flexible dieting and tracking macros and it's personal tracking accuracy. So it's one thing to eat a banana and then log it and say, I had a medium banana. All right. Well, that medium banana, that's so vague that if you then record it in your tracking app and it pulls, I don't know, say a hundred calories, that same banana or Alexa could have been eating the same banana, what she thought was a medium banana and recorded it, but it was actually 170 calories. So this is where pulling out your food scale, pulling out your measuring devices, utilizing them when you have them. So then on the occasions that we don't have them, we can make those guesses a lot more accurately. And not that we have to bring our food scale with us on date night or when we're out with our kids. But if the goal is fat loss and you're wanting it at a, like a specific rate of progression, you have an end goal in mind, you have kind of a desire to make it happen, not on this like, well, willy nilly, hope it happens. You, you really do want to have this linear pursuit to fat loss, weighing and measuring your foods. You got to do it. 9.999 out of 10 times when we tell a client or even do this ourselves, we say, let's just go back to what worked in the beginning. Rem remember when you first started and you were learning, you were excited and you were weighing and measuring everything. And, and it was a lot more accurate, right? Nine out of 10 times that we do that, the clients start to see progress again. And a lot of it, like you said, is just that tracking accuracy over time. It's like you invest a lot in the beginning and you're excited about it and over time. It's like, oh, I know how much that is. Oh, I know how much that is. Um, and that's great. We want you to be able to learn. But almost every single time I ever, this is somebody who's been doing this for 10 plus years. If I go back and weigh and measure and track more accurately every single time, I can see some progress moving. And this really then goes into our next one is the food product accuracy, the, you know, the food labels, eating at restaurants and utilizing their menus, labels, diety foods, you know, the whole net carb thing. Uh, so as you are using a tracking app and recording, it's one thing just to throw the food in a log. And then at the end of the day, be like, well, I did it or I didn't do it, <laughs> but learning what's in the food and our clients are great at this because they learn, all right, how do these macros equate the calories? So let's use alcohol for the example. If you scan the barcode and log it in your app, it's going to say a white claws, hundred calories with what two carbs. <laughs> okay. So math and science teach us that one gram of carbohydrate has four calories. So if your white claw or whatever your beverage has two grams of carbs, that product should yield eight calories, but it doesn't it yields a hundred calories. So at the end of the day, say you just had one of them at the end of the day, you look and you're like, Oh, perfect. I hit my macros. My calories look a little like off, but I hit my macros. So I'm good. Well, besides the fact that it's alcohol and that's a whole nother podcast episode, but you're missing the other 23 carbs end of your day. You'll see, Oh, cool. Like I hit my carbs. Well, say you did that every single day and 23 carbs were missing every single day. Then over the course of time, 
you're not going to be as in a big of a deficit as you thought you were. And then by no fault of your own, it's food labels. They can do that. They can round up. They can round down. Um, think mustard, right? It says zero calories. Well, who's using like a teaspoon of mustard? There are calories in there. So uh, give yourself a little grace. You don't want to become like this head case of like, got to count and track it and double check it and triple check and go online. And, but if you feel like your body weight has plateaued or your progress has plateaued, that may be a time when you then say, all right, if I've checked the first two boxes that Alex and Meredith have talked about, let's now look at the food product accuracy. It is my, am I tracking net carbs unknowingly? Are these diet foods full of sugar alcohols? And it is affecting the carbohydrate recording of the food. Hey, that takes us to number four. You had me at mustard, sodium, spices, condiments, supplements. Are you truly accounting for everything? We're not talking if you throw one piece of gum in, right? But if you're a gum and then a mint, and then you are shooting back some pre-workout and then you have a post-workout that you have and then you have maybe some omegas that you're throwing in that have some extra fat grams right it's not that big of a deal if it's a little bit but a little adds up on top of that just some products like you know there's a lot of spices that are salt free and things like that but there is a lot of spices and a lot of sauces that do have a lot of sodium that's going to just cause you to retain water which again is going to show a little bit of uh, either a spike on the sale or a plateau from your weight on the scale. Right. So just watching, like Meredith said, the mustard, it's zero calories, but if you're only using, if you're using more than a teaspoon of mustard, then that's something to probably take a look at Walden and Walden farms. Is that what it's called? Walden farms. That's another really big one that I've seen with a lot of clients where it's zero all the way through. You're telling me that this syrup is zero calories. Well, guess what? If you tell a client that they're going to use the whole dang bottle, right? So just, there's some sneaky things. Miracle noodles are another one that I've seen. You're telling me I can eat all of this pasta for zero calories. Like sign me up. So sodium spices, condiments, supplements, plus all the other tricky things out there. And artificial sweeteners. Um, not that there's so much oh, controversy in the diet world around artificial sweeteners. And do they cause cancer? Does it matter if you consume them? It's zero calories, so it's fine, or it's not fine. Or I would say the only one, everything in moderation, right? Like dieting in moderation, macros in moderation, artificial sweeteners, eating whole foods. Like there's a whole eating disorder when you're so hyper fixated on eating clean. Like talk about, that's the other end of the spectrum. But the one I do want to talk about is sugar alcohols. And the reason being is because if there are sugar alcohols in a product, then it has a heavy influence on the carbohydrates recorded. And if that's the exception and not the rules to your diet, then it's not the be all end all. It's not that huge of a deal, but I have found with myself included and clients, if right, they're trying to up their protein and cut their carbs and monitor their fat and like bring their ca overall calories down because they want to lose fat. And then they start to replace some whole foods with these diety foods that do contain sugar alcohols because the macronutrient profile does look better. Maybe than the whole food snack that they could have put together. Actually, there's a conversation I had this week with a client is the cost of the macros of the whole food option outweighs the, um, 
the reward of the, the shiny, pretty macros because sugar alcohols, because it's processed, because it's a bar as opposed to a yogurt parfait. So that is the only one I would be mindful of because it's typically when we have an abundance of sugar alcohols coming from lots of diety food, that's when it can then kind of skew your food log. It can wreak havoc on your gut, bloating, just uh, too much digestion, not enough digestion. It's funny you say that about the artificial sweeteners because I've had so many people and I will honestly say this was, this was me too. I always thought when I had protein powder that it was the whey or like the milk, but I always thought it was that, that was screwing up with my stomach. And then I started to, um, there were some different like protein bars that I was kind of just trying out. And I came to realize like, man, it's the artificial sweeteners that are screwed up my gut here. I'm thinking like, I can't have milk or whey. And it's these artificial sweeteners. Second thing about them too, the more artificial sweeteners that I consume, the more I want more things that are sweet. So it's like, awesome. You had a, you saved on calories and had a diet Coke instead of a Coke, but now you want to go read everything else in your whole cupboard because you're like, I want more. I want more. I want more. Yeah. And like, I don't know the exact conversion, but um, if you look at online, things like sucralose, aspartame, all that, I mean, they are hundreds, if not thousands times sweeter on your tongue than table sugar. So it is great because then you can have stuff that tastes sweet and doesn't have calories, but it almost courses you into needing more and more sweet in order to satisfy that desire to eat something sweet. But let's go into the next one. Um, We are going to talk about hydration. So even if you're slightly dehydrated, your body is going to slow down the rate at which you can burn body fat. So that statement alone, hopefully will encourage you to drink more water. It's one of those easy ones. I think I can say it. I'm not like, oh, water's the best ever. I'm not an Alexa Miller, but (laughs) it's one of those variables that you can easily control and you don't have to worry about like, oh no, did I track like three extra ounces or am I under four ounces? (laughs) There's a big window of opportunity for getting enough water. Lex, how do you drink so much water so easily? Well, you know, they make these really pretty Stanley cups now that, oh my gosh, the memes just get me right now with, with the whole Stanley's and the younger generation. I love it. But hey, you know what? I'm all for it because it's like glorifying being hydrated. All these young girls in high school are taking their Stanley's to class. I'm like, go you, you're, you're staying hydrated. I'm all for it. No, but in all seriousness, it's probably the number one thing we start clients off with because it's that easy uh, first starting point. Um, number one thing we say is get something. It doesn't have to be an expensive Stanley. Use a milk jug after you drink your milk. Um, but but just start measuring out where you're at with water. You know, I get so so many times I get that the question like, how much water should I have? How much? Everybody is different. I say, always say start with half your body weight in ounces. And obviously, if you're working out, you can add a little bit more and a little bit more, and maybe work your way up to a gallon if you're somebody who is sweating a lot you know, working out a lot outside that type of thing, kind of if you're in a colder climate, warmer climate. But more of the story is you don't know where you're at. You don't know where to go unless you know where you're, you're at. So get something to measure it out and then just try to add a little bit more and add a little bit more. You know, we're not going to take you from drinking eight ounces to a gallon of water a day and say you're, you're borderline having to get up in the middle of the night or pee in the bed, right? That's not the goal. But you want to flush out all the crap 
especially if you're somebody who maybe just gave birth or somebody who just had a surgery, um, or if you just got off of an airplane, <laughs> like flush all that crap out. And crap, she means inflammation. <laughs> oh, literal crap. That no. <laughs> <Not> too. <laughs> Let's talk about meal timing and spacing. So all the rage right now, I think still, unless I'm just like dating myself, it's time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting. And you must have six meals a day. And then, yeah, go back even further. You might, you have to graze all day. So there's truth and benefit to it all. Thank gosh we are affiliated with Dr. Joe Klumzeski through the diet doc. The goat. He's the goat. <laughs> the goat of flexible dieting. He has established the concept of metabolic positioning. Now we don't have four hours in our podcast episode today. So we'll save metabolic positioning. I think we've already recorded an episode on metabolic positioning, but basically um, Cliff Notes version is if you are grazing all day on food, you're not really giving your body this opportunity to work through blood sugar, to work through, you know, blood glucose, which is blood sugar, glycogen, which gets uh, conserved in our muscles and our liver. And um, we have to work through those fuel sources in order to tap into body fat. So if we're constantly spiking our blood sugar just by eating, like it's going to happen. Blood sugar rises and falls based on what we're eating. But if we're constantly spiking it, then we're never giving our body this opportunity to tap into fat for fuel source. Now on the opposite end of that, if we don't eat <laughs> at all, sure. We have to tap into body fat at some point, but the propensity of waiting too long followed by I am starving and then consuming copious amount of calories to try to get our blood sugar to come back up, to turn off those hunger cues, to feel satisfied, to have energy that can then backfire. So it's this delicate balance of spacing out your eating times uh, long enough that you can work through blood uh, glucose, you can work through the glycogen and tap into body fat. And then we eat again, we go through that same um, cycle. but eating frequently enough that we don't crash and burn energy and then binge or just stuff our face because our bodies were made to tell us that we were hungry. Yes. And one of the easiest ways to make this happen, because you might be listening right now being like, man, my protein bar for breakfast just isn't really filling me up and I got to eat an hour and a half later. And that's not very good meal spacing. One of our favorite thing to teach is eating um, whole foods, high volume foods, and looking at your plate and, and seeing that it's nice and balanced. If you aren't feeling full after the meal, then look at your food sources. Do you have a, you know, a substantial amount of protein? Do you have a shit ton of veggies in there that'll fill you up? You know, we always say a big ass salad with some protein, right? Do you have a good carbohydrate that's going to keep you full A complex carb, potatoes, rice, something like that. So look at your meals and, and kind of going back to that client you were speaking of Meredith, like look at your meals and maybe instead of like picking the diety, like the protein bar or the protein shake or whatever it may be, start replacing that and adding more bulk, more food, more high volume food so that you can, it fills you up, right? All of that stuff fills your, your stomach up. So you can go a little bit longer between meals and you're having nice, well-rounded, full balanced meals. And I bet you, you can get to three, 
four meals a day instead of feeling like you have to have six, seven, or eight. Because if I just had a protein bar and a protein shake and this and that, I would have to eat 10 times a day too. Okay, number nine is sleep. Oh, why is this one so hard? So Meredith is really good at explaining all the sciencey stuff behind this. But long story short, you know, if you are somebody who's not getting very much sleep, and if you're a lot like me, you start reaching for things that maybe aren't the most healthiest, right? Because your motivation is lost. You're tired. Um, I have conversations all the time with clients about this, that, you know, my, my kid was up all night and I'm stressed with work and I didn't sleep at all. And then they wake up in the morning and they, the first thing they want to grab for is something sweet and they go to bed right before they go to bed, they want to grab something sweet. So all of that, just the, the not sleeping can, can definitely make a huge impact on what food choices that you are, aren't making. And it's not necessarily just willpower. <laughs> like no. our bodies want us to thrive and survive. So I think we need to do a podcast episode of every single one of these topics, just so this one's not four years long, but there's two hormones that are regulated based on our sleep and that's ghrelin and leptin. Okay. So if our sleep is disrupted, those two will start to either like overproduce or underproduce. And those two hormones are directly correlated to our hunger. They are also known as quote hunger hormones. So if we end up producing too much or too little of one or the other, then our body is cueing us to get more energy. And there's only two ways for our bodies to get energy. It's to sleep and it's to consume fuel, which is calories. So if our body very quickly wants energy because we're sleep deprived, we don't have the ability to just like clap our hands, fall asleep, get the energy and move on about our day. So our body cues us through hunger to say, Hey, I need energy. And the fastest way to get energy is a very steep spike in our blood sugar. So that's why like when your kids have candy and like only candy, they're like, it's because their blood sugar spiked. So if we're tired, our body is like, please just spike our blood sugar so we can make it through the next one. Well, the downside is if we spike our blood sugar, it's going to plummet just as fast as it spiked. So um, that is where if we can focus on sleep, we're going to help our physiology to help support our endeavor in having to monitor calories. And it just helps like back the willpower that honestly, you do need to have some when you are dieting, uh, because a calorie deficit is giving your body less than what it really wants. So that's another one of those, like give yourself a little grace, but understand that sleep is a, a variable that we can kind of control. I say that because our kids are over one years at, at this point, but <laughs> if it is a variable that you can control, it's inevitably going to make your dieting process that much easier. You know, when this really, really hit me, Meredith is when I had children and it like, it was like an aha moment for me, like my three-year-old right now, and it's winding down. It's almost bedtime. And what does he want every single time he's tired? A snack, right? Every kid is like, so tired, rubbing eyes, crying, whining. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And I'm like, nobody, you're actually this tired. And I totally understand now. I'm like, thank you for the epiphany. 
Like, get it. Like, look at your children. It's the same thing. They always want to snack when they lay in bed. They always are hungry when they lay in bed. Nope, they're actually tired and it's confusing. Guess what? Happens to us adults too, right? And then just in general, like low energy, you know, if you have a terrible night's sleep, like you're not super motivated to like go work out. You're probably not moving as much. So just all of that plays into effect as well. I'm glad you brought up kids because I think they're a great analogy for us to use for this next one. And it's our activity. Now, we are personal trainers. We've been fitness professionals for decades. So it would make sense if you're like, oh, they're probably going to tell me that I need to like do more cardio and lift more weights and make sure I'm like stretching and all that. Like, yes, the benefits of exercise are great for fat loss. Okay. But the benefits of exercise go so far beyond calorie burn. So like, let's look at our kids. They could sit all day and have, they're in, they have PE every day. At least I I think they still do. I hope they still do. Um, Right. But they have PE and then they have recess and then, okay, so what an hour out of the day, they're active. Well, if that was enough, then there wouldn't be this like epidemic of childhood obesity, right? If they did nothing else and just did that, then that would show how great exercise is for fat burn and fat loss and body composition. But it's not, it'd be the same thing, like saying, Hey, adults, you can just Netflix and chill, but for an hour of your day, make sure you go to the gym guaranteed to to lose weight and stay lean. No, like I look at my, my one and a half year old and she is nonstop moving all day, every day, even when she's breastfeeding, she's moving when she's sitting she's kicking her little legs. Like she is constantly moving. So no wonder she can eat all day and not really gain weight. It shows how the movement of the 24 hours or however many hours you're awake is so much more important in the realm of body composition and keeping body fat down and burning body fat than the 30, the 60 minute workout that you have in your day. So that's really hard for me to say as a trainer, but it's true. It's so true. And it's crazy how, like my Mondays are just nuts. I feel like I'm in meetings all day. I sit in my butt all day. Like I go out and I work out pretty intense. You see me work out. Like I work out intense, 45 minutes intense. And I literally looked down at my watch. And I'm like 3000, 3000, um, steps. That's it. Like I just worked out for an hour. Like what? 45 minutes. No, like, no, like we're not talking about just that one hour or 45 minutes of a workout. Like we're talking about that neat activity, that non-exercise activity, thermogenesis. What are you doing throughout the day? If you're at your desk, like get up and move and walk around. Like maybe you have to schedule a 15 to 20 minute walk in the morning before if if you're sitting at your desk all day Um, or maybe after work or get outside when it's nice. But it's that neat activity. Obviously we're all about lifting weights and doing cardio and all of those great things, but just the little movements throughout the day make huge, huge difference. Okay. So that is nine of the 10 things to take a look at if you've hit a plateau. So drum roll for the last one, correct view of energy balance and metabolism. Are you in a calorie deficit? Okay. If you are in a calorie deficit, you're going to lose body fat. Yes. There's all these things like maybe you just need to eat more in order to lose weight and stuff like that. Like, okay. There is metabolic adaptation to your metabolism and all of that, but you're not in a calorie deficit. You're not going to lose weight. So if you feel like you're in a plateau and your body weight has stayed the same for weeks upon weeks upon weeks, 
You can say that you have fine-tuned your tracking. You've eliminated these diety foods and you've counted every single gram. <laughs> you have plenty of space between your meals. Your blood sugar is balanced, but you're also not eat grazing all day. You are really eating at home. So there's no hidden spices that you don't know about. Your artificial sweetener intake is next to none. You're super hydrated. You're sleeping seven to nine hours of sleep. You get 10,000 steps a day. You work out, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on. If you can check all those boxes, then yes, we need to probably look at how many calories are you currently consuming? What is the macro distribution? And we do, we may need to change it. So for some, it's all right. <laughs> I hate when that's it. Like we do have to draw your calories down some. Now, if you are, unfortunately, if you're female, you're shorter, an endomorph, you know, your your genetic predisposition and how your body metabolizes calories, all these things not going for you, <laughs> and you're already so low at calories, then I wouldn't say, okay, let's keep slashing your calories. It might be, all right, let's spend some time not trying to hit fat loss. Let's spend some time nurturing your metabolism, getting whole foods, you know, basically priming our body to be in this healthiest state possible to actually want to burn body fat again. But, you know, if you're, for me, I can lose weight at like, I don't know, I haven't done it in a while, but like 1800 calories. 17, 1800 calories. If I start to maintain weight at that point, I'm going to reverse up. I'm not going to keep slashing calories because I'm going to be freaking hangry and I'm not going to be able to adhere to it. So it really is the last thing as coaches that we would suggest of like, Hey, it's time to slash calories. And it's all relative to the client we're working with their current profile, what they've been doing. But that's kind of the last thing we're going to look at as far as you've hit a plateau. Okay. Let's change your calories and macros. Yeah. And I think just circling back to what we said in the beginning, like some of us are naive to the fact that like, they're like, Hey, I have been hitting 1500 calories and I don't understand. Like I'm at a plateau and I'm going to say, I'm going to go back to that number one thing we talked about and look and see, are you truly consuming that on a seven day average on a week by week average, or it's like your Monday through Wednesday at 1500, but you're like getting a little bit higher on the weekends. Like maybe it's not that right. Let's just go back to that trend line and the, the accuracy of your calories and everything else. So I would say start there a and B when we're in a calorie deficit, like Meredith said, we're not, this isn't like forever. If you have a hundred pounds, of lube, it's not like you're, you're like entering a calorie deficit and you're going to be there for until you hit your goal. Like there is, and it depends on the client, depends on the goals, but there's periods of fat loss and then there's periods of maintenance and maybe even periods of, of a calorie surplus. So don't freak out. You're allowed to, you're allowed to feel good and live in maintenance. You're allowed to have four to five week calorie deficit cuts. So I think sometimes when people think calorie deficit, they think that they have to like, because they have lose uh, weight to lose, that they have to enter it and they'll have to stay there until they reach their said goal. Like Meredith and I've been doing this for a very long time. And like both of us, we enter into fat loss periods when it's necessary, when our goals align with that. Um, but we also live in maintenance a lot. And we've also lived in a calorie surplus many times as well. So we just want to break that myth a little bit, just that that it's not like you have to enter in and just starve all the time. And being in a calorie deficit shouldn't suck that bad if you follow all of the other things that we have talked about today. 
Yeah. So if you find yourself in a plateau, we hope that you save this podcast, listen to it on repeat, screenshot the show notes. We will have every single step listed in it. And if you still feel like you need help, that's what we're here for. We're here to not only teach you about these things, not only hold you accountable, but to help you hit your goals. So apply for coaching. If you want us to take a look at food log, find a macronutrient profile that works for you and your lifestyle and your body composition goals. So this is a good one. I really liked this one. So I hope you did too. Make sure to save it and share it with somebody that is complaining that they've hit a plateau.